0: I'm telling you, I know the video didn't make it look that way, but I was a good ball player at one time. Come on, it's true. Well, welcome to Metro again. I'm so glad that you're here. I'm pumped that you're here. And and we're in this series called Old School, where we've been going back into the Old Testament part of the Bible, and this is what we've been doing. We've been taking sections of it, or sometimes entire Old Testament books of the Bible, entire books at a time, and just sort of walk through them, walking through them, so that we could see the the ongoing story of God and how we fit into that story and how, how and what we can learn from these Old Testament books of the Bible, and I think it's been very uh, challenging to us. I think it, it's been helping us take our next steps toward God, and so uh, if you were to be here tonight and you say, I would love to track with you on this, and I'm, I'm excited to, about learning this stuff together, I would love for you, if you had a Bible or one of them there, smartphones, to, to look up Ecclesiastes in the Old Testament part of the Bible, the third chapter of Ecclesiastes, and it's about halfway through the Old Testament, or you can just Google it. And it'll come up for you. And while you're looking for that, let me tell you something that many of you probably already know in this room. Especially the ladies in, in this room probably know this. That the men of the state of Michigan can be very weird. Amen, ladies? The men can be very weird in our state. See, here, here, here's the deal. Michigan has distinctive seasons to it, right? Am I right so far? Distinctive seasons. And winter around Michigan can be absolutely brutal. It can be freezing cold, lots and lots of snow. But there are always these Michigan guys who are determined to wear the same clothes no matter what season of the year that they are in. So they wear their shorts and their flip flops in the middle of winter. And in the scorching heat of summer, they wear those same shorts and flip flops. And it does not serve you well, men. I'm telling you the truth, fellas. There is no excuse for this. This has got to stop. And I'm going to tell you why. For two reasons. Uh, First and foremost, I think it's appropriate that you learn the appropriateness of a season because number one, it will not score you points with the ladies. Right, ladies? Right, ladies? Right? Okay. Uh, But more important than that, if we do not understand what season of life we are in, you could be working against God's timing and God's rhythm for your life. There are seasons of life. You, You just can't yell at an apple tree in the dead of winter, produce fruit for me right now. It's simply the wrong season of life. And if there are seasons to life, then there are seasons to our spirit life. This is true seasonally, and this is true spiritually of us as well. And timing, listen, friends, is everything. Understanding the timings of your life is really everything. And so King Solomon begins one of the most famous passages in all of the literature known to mankind. This is perhaps one of the most famous passages in the history of the world. And he begins by telling us that timing is everything. Ecclesiastes chapter three, I'm gonna read the very first verse, and you can follow along if you got your Bible or smartphone available to you. It says this, there is a time for, what is this word? Everything. There is a time for everything and a season for every activity under the Heavens right, right away, Solomon is telling you something about how life works, about the nature of life, and what you can expect out of life he 's saying that you should expect change, and you may want to write that one down if you 're a note taking type of person, you might want to write that one down because this is just coming straight out of the of the book of Ecclesiastes the third chapter that you can expect change. And a lot of people hate change. How many people in the room hate change? If you would admit it, you hate change, you hate change. People say, no, I, I like change, but no, you really don't like change because people, they hate to change their jobs, right? Even if they hate their job, they hate to change jobs. People hate to move. Somebody was just telling me yesterday, I hate moving. I hate it. I hate it. I hate it. Even though you hate your house, you hate moving even more. Um, you hate changing friends. You hate making new friends, even though you don't even like your friends, Right? <laughs> You just don't want to do the work of getting new friends, right? And, and, and because nobody likes change. In, in my, my house, my little guys, we're working on getting my little guys just to change their underwear. That's a whole other issue, but we're working on it in our house. True story. And so it's very important uh, to understand that people hate change. But Solomon says to us, expect life to change that life is always gonna change. It's always changing. Uh, Let me read this again to you. First verse, it says, there is a time for everything and a season for every activity under the heavens. And as we read through this little section, one word is gonna jump out above all the others. In the next few verses, one word is gonna stand above all the others, and it's the word time, T-I-M-E. Matter of fact, in the next uh, seven or eight verses to follow, this word time is used like 38 or 39 different times. 38 or 39 different times. It's it's a powerful little word. And and in order to get us thinking about this next section of scripture, um, there are three little insights that I just have to share with you because I think it'll help us to elevate our understanding of this passage. So if we're gonna understand the book of Ecclesiastes in the third chapter, we have to have a few insights to get us to think the right way about this little chapter. And here's the first one. And again, you may wanna write this down. Solomon says... That there is a time for everything. And then we're going to read that he begins to explain what, what that everything can look like in your life. He begins this list of, of all the different seasons that are going to come into your life. And what's important to note is that Solomon makes no judgment about these seasons. He just says, hey, here's what's gonna happen. There is is death and there is life and there is peace and there is war. There is fighting and there is love and there's everything in between. And he doesn't make a moral judgment on any of it. He just says, as a matter of fact, this is what you can expect in life, that life is gonna be all over the board and it's gonna be all over the place that you can expect your life to change. He's not saying whether those things are good or whether they're bad or if they're your fault or if they're not your fault. He's just saying that we could expect life to change. To change. And and here's the second thing. Solomon begins um, to build this argument that life is not random, that there is a purpose to this change. Uh, Over and over, he he says, There is a time. And this little slogan in, in the Hebrew, it means more than just like a time on a watch, it carries this idea that there is this appointed time. It's, it's like a divine time. It's like orchestrated by God himself. It's like, we're going to see that this, some translators, if you were to read the different translations of the, of, the, of the scriptures, some actually say there is an appointed time because it carries this understanding that these changes, you can expect changes, but God, listen friends, is often the cause behind these changes. That God is often orchestrating these changes in your life. And he's doing it for a reason. That they aren't just random. That they're just not arbitrary. But that God has a design for them. And I think you're going to pick this up through, through our study together. And, and here's the next thing. The third thing Solomon uh, does is very unusual here. He uses a Hebrew word. A very specific Hebrew word for the word activity. Now in, in English, um, we're just going to read this word as there's a time for every activity or every event under the sun. But in Hebrew, it's much more profound in that. This word in Hebrew that we, we, that we say activity or event, it literally has this understanding that, that these activities, these events are meant to, to bring you somewhere. They're meant to bring completion to your life, to bring joy to your life. That they're, that they're not just random in the sense of, of even God orchestrating them like, oh, I just want you to experience this. No, he says, there's a reason for this. And it, the reason is to complete your life. And so he says, this experience rolls into this experience to roll into this experience to roll into this experience because he wants to take you somewhere. He wants to complete you. He wants to somehow end in delight and joy in your life. And so when we read this together, read it with a heightened understanding of what Solomon is trying to communicate to us. Are y'all good with this? Y'all good? Y'all understand where we're going with this? So he says, again, timing is everything. So let's look at what Solomon is saying that's gonna come our way in life. He's saying, get ready, here it comes, this is what's gonna happen in your life. Expect these kinds of changes in in, in the way that you live your life. He says, in the next seven verses, by the way, he makes 28 different statements, I counted them, 28 different statements. Interesting, 14 of these statements can be perceived as positive statements about what's gonna happen in our life. But guess what, the other 14 are completely negative. There's no way of getting around it. They are negative and they're bent. And so he he gives us, um, he's basically telling us straight up that some of what is gonna happen to you is very, very positive. And some of what is gonna happen to you can be perceived as very, very negative. And and here's the, the story behind it, I think. As we read this, Solomon is saying you can expect changes. But more than that, the changes you can expect, these changes are sometimes very extreme. They are from one end of the spectrum, to the other. They're extreme. He says this is how life works. Life is often all over the boards. You will experience very high highs, and you will experience very low lows. Anybody say that you experienced this before? Where one day it just seems like everything in your life is going up, 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 and it is going good, and the next day it just seems like it's crashing all around you. Anybody? Anybody? You've been there? Then you know what I'm talking about. And this is exactly what Solomon says. He says, one day you're watching your life come together, the next day you're watching your life fall apart. One day that you can't stop smiling, and the next day you can't stop weeping. One day you can't stop dancing, the next day you can't stop grieving. One day the love of your wife life walks into the door, the next day the love of your life walks out of the door. And he says, oh, you can expect change. And some of the changes that are going to come your way, are going to rock your little world. And they're going to turn you on on, on the side. They're going to freak you out sometimes. But remember, they are not without purpose. They are not just random. That God is wanting to complete you. And that he's going to use these seasons of change in your life to complete you, to show you what you could not otherwise see without them. You tracking with me so far? And, and so this is how he begins this. He, he begins by pairing and contrasting these changes of life. And here's what he says in verse 2. He says, and you can maybe make this as a header for verse 2. He says, life and death, these are the contrasting things. Life and death are, are before you. Verse 2, he writes this. There is a time, and maybe these are familiar words to you. He says, that you're, there's a time to be born and a time to die, a time to plant and a time to uproot, right? Talk about extremes. He says, life and death. God appoints both of them. He appoints your birth and he appoints your funeral. And he knows exactly when each will occur. He always has and he always will. There are absolutely no surprises with God. He is sovereign over it all. There's nothing new to him. And no one can take your life until God is done with your life. You will not breathe your last until God says, I am done with you breathing. He says, I understand all of life and all of death. We are born into this world. And then he paints this picture that we're born and then we die. And it seems rather quick to us. Uh, every eight seconds, I, I did a little research on this. Every eight seconds, there is someone who dies in our world. Every eight second. Every three seconds, someone is born into our world. And, and it's like it just keeps like a, Life is like a revolving door. It just keeps gr- going and going and going. And the same is true of plant life. He says there's a time for it to be planted and a time to uproot. And he says this is just the nature of life. Timing, he says, is everything. There's a time for both, life and Death. Look at this next pairing that Solomon does for us. This is incredible. He, he contrasts these thoughts. He, he, can, he contrasts the idea of something that is destructive and something that is creative. Um, killing and healing, tearing down and building up. Verse 3, he says it like this, a time to kill. You've heard this before, maybe a time to heal, right? A time to kill and a time to heal. A time to tear down and a time to build up. Now, this understanding of a time to kill, it's very important that this does not mean um, murder, By the way, he doesn't use the word for murder. There is a very specific Hebrew word that we read in the Ten Commandments that says do not kill. Really what that means is do not innocent or take the blood of the innocent. Do not murder. But here he's saying there is a time to actually kill. There's a time to take Life, like as in destroying life during a just war or maybe killing uh, for the sense of capital punishment because, uh, and what's interesting, Solomon's not making a moral judgment on this. He says, this is just the way life is. There are times of life that you will kill, that you will take the life of somebody else. Because why? He says, sometimes because life is precious to God. Because life is valuable to God, because we are created in the image of God. He says, listen, he says, there are going to be times that you have to avenge the wrongful taking of someone's life, maybe in the case of war or capital punishment, in order to hold up the value of innocent life. Sometimes we're going to actually have to kill to do that. Because we're made in the image of God. Life is valuable. And then he says, there's a time to heal, there are times to kill. And thank God, fortunately, he says, there are times to show grace, to heal one another, a time to tear down and a time to build up. And what's really interesting about this little phrase, a time to tear down and build up, you think of it in terms of housing, right, or to build something and to tear it, you know, down. And and you go, well, that served its purpose. I built this for a little while, like a tree fort. You build for your kids when they're little and they're big now and you don't need it more." So there's a time to build it and a time to tear it down. you, You understand this, Right? There's just these seasons of life. But what's interesting is he didn't use a phrase that denotes just physical building of housing or, or, or physical possessions. He used this phrase in Hebrew that denotes the idea that there's a building of a life and there's a tearing down of a life. Think about this. He's saying to you and to me that there are times that God is gonna allow the tearing down of your life so that he can rebuild it the way he wants it to be built. Come on. There are going to be times in your life when you're going, I don't understand this. This isn't what I planned. And God's going to say to you, oh yeah, yeah. this is what I planned though. You're not becoming who you're supposed to become and I'm going to show you. I'm going to to make sure that you don't get caught in the way of building your own little kingdom, your own little life, and I'm going to remove something from you because I love you and I want to build a different life for you. This is rich, isn't it? This is deep stuff. Can you see your life in this already? Come on, are you there? Come on, are you there? Yeah? You tracking? Listen to this. The next two pairs where he uh, expresses human emotion, he contrasts and compares two things. He compares sorrow and joy. He talks about weeping and laughing, mourning and dancing. Anybody ever experienced this? Where one day you're just, you're just having a great time, then the next day you are devastated over something. Sometimes it's like in the same day. Some of you women, it's like in the same five minutes, right? Come on. But he says there's going to be times of great sorrow in your life. And he says there's going to be times of great joy. And both are meant to take you somewhere. Both are meant to teach you something. Both are meant to build a life that would please God. Both are meant for something. This is how he says it. He says there's a time to weep, verse 4, a time to laugh, a time to mourn, and a time to dance. Both sorrow and joy, they're part of life. Without one, you can't recognize the other. We encounter negative and positive emotions and experiences throughout life. And, And he says this is to be expected. Change occurs constantly. The human emotion, the human condition, it changes. One moment we're on the mountain peak and the next moment we're in the valley, right? But without the valley, you'll never know what the mountain peak is like. Without sorrow you will never know what joy is like and without without joy you'll never know what sorrow is like and you'll never know the compassion needed during those sorrowful times. He says there's a reason for all of this. It's important to both grieve and rejoice, you know as a matter of fact the scripture says that when a loved one passes away we are expected to grieve. It irritates me like crazy when I do Christian funerals and people go oh it's okay they're in heaven don't cry. Are you crazy? Of course I'm gonna weep. When you lose someone you love, it, it hurts, it's it's devastating. Oh. Jesus himself, when he lost his good friend named Lazarus, he wept. He was broken over it. And he says, This is the norm for human experience. And then he says, but don't forget to laugh. He says, Oh, you'll have plenty of sorrow. Anybody experience sorrow? Oh. Oh yeah. But he says, Don't get caught in sorrow alone. Because if you get caught in sorrow, you will not see God. It takes both sides of this equation. You need to experience joy. You need to experience hope. You need to experience laughter. There's a part of scripture that says that laughter is literally good for the soul. It's been said if we don't learn to laugh at trouble, you (laughs) you won't have anything to laugh about when you grow old. Think about that. If you don't learn to laugh at trouble, you won't have anything to laugh at when you grow old. In other words, your whole life is trouble, so you might as well learn to laugh at it now. Because it's coming your way. But he says, God has given us a sense of humor to help carry us through those times of sorrow. He's showed us both sides of this equation because he wants to teach us something. Solomon is saying, friends, don't miss this, that... It takes both to see God. God is in the midst of both. Now check this out, verse five, he, he moves forward. He gives us very bizarre, very bizarre sets of words here to us, these very bizarre contrasts. He says this, there's a time to cast away stones and a time to gather stones, a time to embrace and a time to refrain from embracing. And because I am such a good pastor, because I love our people, And I want you to understand the fullness of God's word. I did some research on this because I'm looking at this, I'm going, I don't quite understand this because even the two sets of lines, the parallel parallel lines there, they don't quite make sense. I mean, time to throw stones and time to not throw stones and then all of a sudden there's a time to embrace, hug, kiss, whatever, you know, and not to. What do they got to do with one another? Well, it's very interesting. So I did some research about this, and it's true that you could, there are some people who do take this as very literal where they think it is about casting of stones and and not casting of stones, about throwing and and gathering. But but honestly, I don't think that's what it really means. Um, Many scholars, probably most scholars, think that this is a euphemism about doing the dealio, if you know what I mean. Yeah, it's true. Yeah, and I'm not going to explain it all, and I can't even explain it all. It gets kind of bizarre. But, but many scholars think that this is a, uh, a veiled reference. is kind of the way they used to talk about sex. That this was, there's a time for throwing stones, and that's when you're having sex. And there's a time for not throwing stones. That's when you're refraining from sex. You take it from there, okay? Um, but, but it's true that in the Old Testament, um, God gave leadership about there were times that sex should be embraced and that should be ran after with your whole heart. And then he says there's other times that it shouldn't be embraced. Certain seasons and stages of your life. It's very interesting. And so this has led some translators of the scripture to to translate or paraphrase the scripture by saying that there is a time to make love and a time not to make love. Um, There's a time to embrace, and this makes sense when you put the first line with the second line, right? There's a time to embrace and there's a time... To what? Not have physical affection. You see it? Y'all with me? You good? Yeah. Okay. Let's move on. Okay. So you could label this if you were taking notes. There's a time for a little something, something, and it's time for nothing. Okay? You get a little something, and you get nothing. Okay? There are different times of your life, if you know what I mean. All right. Moving on. Okay. The next two pairs of of, uh, contrasting and, and comparison, they deal with the nature of possessions. Listen carefully to what he does here. This is interesting. Solomon writes this. Like it's like buy, sell. There's a time to buy, there's a time to sell. And he says, he's, he's hitting all the areas of life. You see what he's doing here? He is just like hitting everything. He has thought life through and he says, this is how life works, all of life. This is how it goes. And he says, there's a time to sell and a time to buy. He says, there's a time to seek and a time to lose, a time to keep and a time to cast away. I think this gives biblical authority for you to have a garage sale. I really do. I think this is amazing. Um, the, the, the thoughts here deal, deal with the fleeting nature of our possessions, right? We, we buy clothes and we think, oh, this is going to make us complete, and then we take those same clothes to goodwill. We buy a new car. We think, oh, this is going to make my life so much better, and then that car becomes our clunker that we just got to get rid of because it's a piece of junk and we, we're, like, done with it, right? It's like we, we buy all this stuff only to look for them later in our closets full of other stuff. And he says there's a time for gathering of stuff and then a time to lose it. A time to seek after it and a time to give it all away. Because that's the fleeting nature of all of our possessions, right? Um, This next pair uh, is interesting to me. This next uh, verse, verse 7, he talks about there's a time for action and there's a time for non-action in our life. And he says it like this. He goes, there's a time to tear and a time to sow. A time to like pull it apart and a time to build it up, right? A time to keep silent and then a time to speak. And really this, this idea lends itself to the idea of a grieving, right? Because in in like Hebrew society, when when someone died in your family, someone close to you, you would often... Tear away at your clothes, and you would remain silent during the time of mourning. And then when the time of mourning was up, you would mend your clothes, showing that your heart was being mended, your life was being mended, and God was starting to build something new inside of you, and then you could resume to normal, everyday kind of speaking, right? And as Christians, we are taught that in the New Testament that it is wise for us to learn how to control our tongues, that there is a time to speak and a time to shut it. Am I right? And often, we would say that the wisest among us are those who say nothing at all. Those who have the ability to hold their tongue. And this is so true of of my life. There are times I'm just way too careless, way too careless with my tongue. And Solomon says, there are times that we better learn to be quiet. And there are times that we better learn to speak. And we've got to figure out the difference because God wants to do something in both of those things. God wants to use both of those seasons of your life. Here's the, other, here's, uh, the next one. There's one more verse that kind of compares and contracts. This is incredible. Are you guys going through this with me? Are you tracking with me so far? Because you, you, we just want to go old school here. We just want to walk through this together, okay? I want us to learn and to grow, grow together because he's telling us some, something. He's taking us somewhere. He says this. Is there's, there's best and worst in life. There's this physical contrast between the best things in life and the worst things of life. Listen to how he says it. He says there is a time to love and a time to hate. Best and the worst of us. Both of them are inside of us, he says. A time for war and a time for, what is it? peace. And at first, this verse can be very hard to understand because we all know that there is a time to love. We, We know about all that Jesus said about love. He says, love your enemy, love your neighbor. He says, love, love, love. Love God Almighty. Love him with your whole heart. Love him with your whole soul. Love him with your whole mind. Love him with your whole strength. The love part is easy for us to get. Am I right? But God seems to be saying that there is a time for hate inside of you. And did you know that Jesus actually hated as well? It's true. He hated sin in our life. He hated the destructive nature of sin in our life. He hated what it does to you and what it does to me. He hated the way that sin controlled people and ruined people's lives. The way that it stole their joy. The way that it stole their purity. That it stole their effectiveness in life. He hated sin in our life. You know, and as Christians, uh, we get a lot of flack for this little line that we sometimes throw out there, but there is truth in this line, And, and I don't get why people can't get this, but I think it is true, because the scripture teaches us to love the sinner, but hate the sin. Listen, I have dear friends, even in this church, who have struggled deeply with alcohol and drugs, and I absolutely hate what alcohol and drugs have done to my dear friends, to my own family members. But I love them. I can tell you, I am committed to them, and I want to see God's best in their life. I have dear friends who, at some point in their life, decided that it was in their best interest to take the, lo- the life of a baby through this thing called abortion. Let me tell you something. I hate what abortion has done to that baby. I hate what abortion has done to that to that mother, to that woman. But I can tell you, I love that woman like crazy. And I will do anything I can to help her heal and to grow from that. To help her see that God loves her and will restore her. Y'all with me on this? So he says there is a time for for the best and for the worst of us. And you think about this idea of war, right? He says there's a time for war and there's a time for peace. But we're like, oh, we're Christians. We can't go to war. We can't. No, no, no. It's naive to think that war is not sometimes necessary. It is naive to think that. Listen, there will never be peace on earth until the Prince of Peace comes to this earth. You hear this, friends? It will never happen, ever. And there are times that war is absolutely necessary. We are sitting in this church today because men and women have gone before us, have decided that it was worth going to war in order to protect our freedom to worship freely. You understand this? So it is naive to think that sometimes both won't happen to us in life. And Solomon says there is the best and the worst of human experiences that are going to happen. And all of these, listen friends, he says all of these, God is at work. We're going to see that God has a plan for these. We're going to see that God wants to do something in us that joy simply cannot do without sorrow. That peace cannot do without war. That love cannot do without hate. He says that both are gonna be required of us in order to take our next steps with God, to become all that God wants us to become. Amen, y'all with me on this? So here's what he says next. This is very interesting to me. Solomon says expect these changes and sometimes these, uh, these changes can be extreme in our life but then he begins to paint a bigger picture of why these things happen to us and he says something that he says in the opening chapter right at the very front of this book. He quotes almost verbatim the same line. He says this in verse nine. He says, what do people really get for all of their hard work? You guys remember that from the first week? What do you, what do you get for all your hard week, uh, work? Um, it's a rhetorical question that he rephrases again because he, he says what we often say, well, why do I work so hard? He says, what do I get for all of this, uh, this work? And he says, uh, why should I work when it's all going to be destroyed anyways? Why should I get married when it ends up just being in a fight and end up hurting one another? Or why should uh, we, we build something with our life if it's just gonna be destroyed? Why do we have a child only to deal with so many hurts and frustrations and disappointments and, and just the struggle of it all? And he says, these are all good questions. As a matter of fact, uh, actor Jim Carrey, Anybody know the the Jim Carrey? He, He says something that struck me one time. He says, "I think everybody should get rich and famous and do everything that they ever dreamed about doing, so that they will realize that that is not the answer." And Solomon says, "What's it all for? What are all of these seasons of life for?" What are, these, what are these comparing and contrasting all for? What is it really all about? What does God want, God want from us and for us? And then in verse 10, he begins to turn the corner. He goes, I have seen the, uh, listen, I have seen the burden God has placed on us all, yet God has made everything, what? Come on, beautiful for its own time. He says, God's got a plan in this. God is gonna make something beautiful out of the mess of your life, out of the junk, out of the joy, and out of the sorrow, out of the hurt, and out of the pain, and out of the, everything in between. He says, I'm going to make something beautiful out of it all. Yet God has made something beautiful in his own time. He has planted, what is this word? Eternity into the human heart. But even so, people cannot see the whole scope of what God's work uh, from the beginning to the end. He's saying, listen, there is a big picture and if we're not careful, we are gonna miss it because there is tension while down under the sun, under the heavens, right? He says there's tension that we don't always understand the purposes of God. In this room, I'm guessing that every single one of us has said, God, why this? This isn't what I planned for. This isn't what I hoped for. Why is this happening to me? Why cancer? Why loss of a job? Why is my husband or my wife running out on me? Why does it always seem to go good for the next guy and not for me? And Solomon says, we're missing the big picture here. He says, God is at work. Our problem is that we focus on the wrong thing too many times. He says, we see the fuzzy, ugly cocoon, but God is making a butterfly in it all. He says, we we see the painful, awful process of life, but God looks at the end result of who we are becoming. He says, we see today, but God looks at, at the forever. He says that we often work on the external of our life, but God works on the internal of our life. And he says, we seem to forget this that we don't seem to understand what God is truly about, what God is truly after. Listen, friends, God is not after you and me building a nice little kingdom unto ourselves. God is after making faith in our life. And he's willing to tear something down in order to give us something new. He's willing to take an idol from our life in order to give us true worship. And he will stop at nothing to turn us from faithless to faithful. And he says, we don't see it if it's all good. It takes bad sometimes. And if it's all bad, we don't see it either. He says, it takes good sometimes. (laughs) And God is generous with us. And he gives us enough of both for us to see him in it all so Solomon says we're missing this big picture. He makes everything beautiful in its time, including your loss, including your hospitalization, including your failures, your brokenness, being broke. He, he includes your battles, your, your fragmented dreams, your lost romance, romance, your heartache, your illness. Yes, even your terminal illness that you're going through. He, it says that he makes it beautiful in its right time. Timing is everything. With him, listen, with him, life can be beautiful, but without him. It can seem so meaningless, he says, so purposeless, so without profit, but with him, but with him it's just different. I love the phrase where it says this, God has set eternity in the hearts of man. Uh, I, I think this is why most people in the middle or in, have, a, have this moment in the middle of these highs and lows, in the middle of these extremes, they have this moment where they go, oh boy, this isn't working the way I thought it was, I need to search for God, I need to search for more. I got to search for something different. In the middle of all this, we start to look for God. I think Solomon says God gives us all of this because God wants to set eternity into our hearts. He wants us to realize that there is something more that we get used to this all being good or all being bad. He says, I'm going to give you something different all the time because I am in the different. I want you to search for something different. You see what he's doing here, friends? There is a purpose and a meaning in the events of our life. Around 400 AD, uh, St. Augustine, who was once a pagan, ran hard away from God, found God miraculously, just gave his heart to God. And God used this man in incredible ways. He once wrote this. He said, you have made uh, us for yourself. He goes, you, oh God, have made uh, us for yourself. And our hearts are restless until they can find peace inside of you. Blaise Pascal, one of the great mathematicians, physicists, inventors, and philosophers that the world has ever known. In 1660 AD, he wrote this. A long time ago, he wrote, there is a God-shaped vacuum in the heart of every man that cannot be filled with any created thing, but by God alone made known through his son, Jesus. The truth is, friends, we have an eternal itch. Solomon says that eternal itch was placed inside of us from God. We all long for eternal significance. And King Solomon says, God has placed that in the human heart in the middle of all of these ups and all of these downs so that we will know him. And then Solomon says that one of the great responses to this life is to make the most out of this life with God in the middle of it all. Through all the highs, through all the lows, He says, don't miss God. This is what Solomon writes. He he says, verse 12, so I concluded that there is nothing better than to be happy and to enjoy ourselves as long as we can. Because he goes, something bad's going to come, so you might as well enjoy the good as long as you can, right? And then he says, verse 13, and people should eat and drink and enjoy the fruits of their labor. And then here's the key, for these are gifts from God, from God. Everything that you experience, the first eight verses, they don't seem like they're from God. he says they're all from God. Let me tell you something, friends. Biblical faith is a call to joy through all the extremes of life. Let, let me say this again because you're gonna go, wow, Jay, that was really good. Biblical faith is a call to joy no matter what comes your way. To find your rest inside of him, no matter what happens in your life. Ben Franklin once said these words. He says, do you love life, the ups and downs of it all? Then do not squander your time, for it is the stuff that life is made of. He says, there's ups and there's downs, so you might as well figure out a way to enjoy all of it. Timing is everything, right? And life is stressful. Um, And life is unpredictable. I mean, I could go home and get sick, you could go home and get sick with the flu, and you could just ruin your next day. or we could leave here and you could get hit head- on by a car that crosses the yellow line, and life could really get messy for you in a heartbeat. You could go into work on Monday, and you could be told that there is no more job. Your spouse could meet you at the door tonight and say, "I'm done." But through it all, God is saying, there is joy to be found. It's found when you somehow, in some way, look for me in the middle of it all. When you search for me, when you don't get so locked into this world. And he says, so he he says, you might as well learn to enjoy all of it. You might as well find joy in it all. And and so we could just say like this you might as well eat ice cream every once in a while. You might as well enjoy a movie with the kids or playing in the rain with the kids. You might as well take your wife out to dinner once in a while because around the corner, there's a big change happening and it may not be what you expect. He says, don't miss enjoying life, the good, the bad, all of it because it's coming, both of them and you can't stop them. Anybody ever try to make a picture-perfect life? Come on, and succeed. Anybody? You got it down? He says, You're not stopping it. Matter of fact, he says, The good and the bad, you work hard, you do the right things, but ultimately, you don't determine all the things that happen in your life. Here's what he says. Listen to this. This is very important. Verse 14, we'll kind of wrap it up with this. He says, And I know that whatever God does is final, nothing can be added to it or taken away. <laughs> bummer right and here's why and here's why here's why God does what he does you want to know why God people ask all the time why pastor why pastor why God why does God do this kind of thing here's why God's purpose in this is that people should fear him good and bad come your way so it will change your perspective of God what is happening now has happened before and what will happen in the future has happened before because God made the same things happen over and over again, he says, right? See, see listen, God, his work is permanent and his work is complete. In other words, he is sovereign that he, um, that he sets certain things in motion in your life. And I'm not saying that we ought not to work hard. I'm not saying that uh, there's not a whole lot that we can do to make things right in our life. Ab- absolutely, there is. But it's saying ultimately that all of these things God allows to come into our life so that we will ultimately fear him. And I don't mean the kind of fear like a child fears a child abuser. You understand that, right? It's not that kind of fear at all. It's not like you know, some you know, wild and crazy God is just looking to whack us around a little bit. Not that kind of fear at all. It's the kind of fear that we have, um, the kind of holy respect that we would have for a godly father in our life, or a godly mother or grandmother or a godly grandfather. Anybody have somebody like that in your life that you just love and respect so much? And this is what God is saying to us. This is what Solomon is saying that God wants from us, that we would have a fear of him, that we realize that our life is in his hands, that our life is made complete inside of him, that we are small and that we are fragile and that we are often insignificant in this world and this world is big and it goes on without us. But in the middle of all that, that God cares for you. You know, I was... uh, in Colorado this summer with my family a little bit. It was pretty cool. And we went to the Rocky Mountains. I don't know if you've ever been to the Rocky Mountains, but you want to talk about feeling small. I mean, you want to talk about feeling insignificant. You want to talk about feeling the fragility of life. And I sat there thinking, look at these grand mountains, these incredible views and vistas. And I realized how small I am. And yet God cares for me. And yet God cares for me and Solomon is saying the purpose to all of this is so that you will walk with God so that you will fear God that you will purposely bow your life before him recognizing that he holds your life in his hand amen what a truth what a truth don't be so arrogant to think that you are the master of your own destiny Oh, no, no, no. We work hard. We are not the ultimate master of anything, are we? Are we? No. No. So friends, I plead with you to trust God. I plead with you to walk with him, to humble yourself before him, to search for him in all of your ups and all of your downs. And friends, if you do, you will find him because God seeks after you. And he brings these things your way so that you will find a real and abiding relationship with him. Amen? Amen. So Father, we come and we just humbly bow before you like Solomon who expressed uh, just the extremes of life. And oftentimes we're caught in the middle of all that. But God, you want us to see you through it all. The purpose is that we would learn to love you and to fear you, to walk with you. And so God, each of us are in very different places. And I pray that you would meet each one where they're at. God, that you would do something to stir the hearts of men and women. Do something to stir their heart to make them realize their need for you. And help us to trust you, God, more. Help me, God, to trust you more. In Jesus' name we say, amen.